open it up or turn it on. We're going to be in Romans chapter 8 today, and I'm going to encourage you to make a decision right now, and that is to intentionally listen to the message today uh, because I have a lot of content. We have a lot to cover today, uh, but there's also a lot in here that speaks to some of the great human needs and I think can help you as we look at the Word of God today. Uh, one of the basic human needs that we have is belonging. You need to know that there is a place in your life where you are always welcome, where someone is listening to you, where someone genuinely cares about your well-being. For our soul to thrive, we have to know that we are not invisible, that we are seen, that we are not ignored, and that there are people who walk with you. As a church, we have what we call these Murphy churchisms where we try to put some of our DNA into sentences, and one of our isms is 2 a.m. friends, that in church we don't want to just come into the room and sit and then go home. We want you to develop some relationships with people that live in a geographical proximity to you so that you can have real flesh and blood friends that walk with you through life, and if something happened at two in the morning, somebody would be there that you could call. We're in this series called Resonance, and we've been working through a stream of thought that is in Romans chapter 8, and this is a passage of Scripture that resonates in eternity. It describes our story as part of the divine novel. I want you to understand this. Your life is not meaningless. You are not on the outside of life looking in. Rather, God has designed you on purpose for a purpose, and your life is a tale of faith, fear, and courage that brings power from your past and meaning to your future. Whatever you've gone through in the past, God can use your story for His glory because your story radiates. It has resonance. It can echo into the future. And so I have been trying to help you see and grasp this resonance throughout this sermon series because I really, I, I grieve over the fact that I think that many of us live our lives trapped behind castle walls and we don't really enjoy life and we don't live wholeheartedly because somewhere in the course of life we have built these walls of guilt, condemnation, and shame and they keep us from really engaging in relationship and they keep us from laughing and experiencing the joy and the meaning of life. But res Resonance is a reality, and it can be a reality in your life. Whatever has happened can help you be stronger today and can launch you into the future where your life can have eternal resonance. Resonance happens when you allow the walls of the past to crumble in grace, whenever you begin scaling the fears of the future with faith, and whenever you open your heart to relationships that, that never say goodbye, but always look forward in hope. You see, God calls us to live with forgiveness for the past, purpose for the present, and hope 
for the future. That's how God wants us to live. And life in the Spirit is about living in the grace of belonging. It's not about the isolation of law that always causes you to come up lacking, but life in the Spirit that is talked about over and over again in Romans chapter 8 is about belonging to the family. Now remember the thesis of the entire chapter all the way back to verse 1. At the beginning of the summer, we looked at this. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Why? Because the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you what? Free from the law of sin and death. And you'll remember there's three terms that everyone in this room has experienced. These ideas affect you greatly, but you may never have stopped to define them or to understand them. One is guilt. Guilt is that feeling that we experience because we've done something that we shouldn't. We have transgressed on another person's uh, rights. We have transgressed God's law in some way. We've done something that is hurtful or wrong. And guilt is a universal reality. In chapters 1 through 3 of Romans, Paul makes the presentation that we all have sinned. And because of that, we all fall short of the glory of God. And hence, everyone in this room, look around, look around. You're all a bunch of sinners. Okay? And, and so am I. Everyone in this room is in need of forgiveness because we have all done things that we should not, and we are guilty of this sin. And that leads us to this next word, which is condemnation. Condemnation if, if, is what happens when you have guilt without forgiveness. So when we're talking spiritually, spiritually condemnation is what happens when you are separated from God because of your sins. You see, the holiness of God demands that there be justice for sin. And when we sin, we turn to our own way, and it causes a separation in that relationship. And if that separation is not bridged, then at the end of our earthly lives here, we experience the condemnation for our sins. So therefore, if you think about it philosophically, condemnation must live in the moment because the future is but death and hell. And there's a third term. There's a third term called shame. Shame is whenever you're still alive, but you're separated from life. And it's often a result of how you begin to see yourself because of things that maybe the, the devil has told you or things that people have told you throughout life. Shame can occur because of unforgiven guilt, things that we have done ourselves and these sinful actions make us feel as though we no longer belong shame can be the result of things that people have said to you hurtful things that people have done to you and what shame does is it steals our identity and it, be, it comes into your heart and robs you of life and so instead of being in life you're always feeling as though you're on the outside looking in and in shame our eyes become numb and we just view life through the screens of envy always looking at somebody else's lives because we don't believe we belong we're on the outside looking in and it gets quiet in the room when i talk about this because we've all felt it of all the human emotions i think shame is perhaps the most painful Shame is what happens when someone takes your heart and breaks it and abuses it 
and doesn't honor your respect and dignity as a human being. It's what happens when you have no place to call home. Shame is what happens when you feel as if you're invisible and unseen and you're made to feel as if you're not a part of the family, that you don't belong, that you're flawed, that you don't have any value. Shame is the condemnation of one person by another. But as you dive into Romans chapter 8 and you get to verse 15, here's what the Apostle Paul says. And whenever we read this verse, you're going to begin to feel your heart jump up inside a little bit because he says, you did not receive a spirit of slavery. That's not what God wants you to have. He doesn't want you to be imprisoned and enslaved to the temporal realities or to fall back into fear. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. You see, the spirit that God wants you to have is the spirit of belonging. You are his child. You have been adopted into the family, and the spirit he wants you to have is one that comes into his presence and says, Father, Abba, Father, here I am. You're my child. And the spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children, and if children, also heirs, and heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. You belong. As a believer in Christ, you belong. The gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't isolate people. It saves them. The gospel forgives guilt. It removes condemnation, and it welcomes you into the family and says, you're here forever. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, everything that I've said so far, if you've been listening, you're kind of charged up. You're like, hey, this, this is pretty good. I like this church. Yeah, this is good stuff. Uh, but then we go home, and we check our phone, and there's a text from somebody that has said something rude. There's a bit of news or an email that we get, and someone has done something or said something that they shouldn't, and you're like, ugh! Or maybe you check that, that text where you took that relationship chance, and you kind of put yourself out there a little bit, and you sent that note, or you sent that word of encouragement, you sent that message, and you check your phone, and it's You've been ghosted, and you feel that pain. People that we love will disappoint us. They might, at times, give us looks that are condescending or make us feel alone. And Satan loves to deceive. Satan speaks in deception. He wants you to feel insecure. He wants you to feel rejected and alone. That's what he thrives upon. If I can make you feel as if you have no identity, as if you don't belong, as if you've been rejected, as if you are alone, then Satan has you right exactly where he wants you. But the truth of grace, hear me now, okay? The truth of grace is that you belong. But Satan distorts this. He wants to make you feel as if you can never belong. Because you don't measure up. All right, guess what? No one measures up. 
Get, go back and read the chapter sometime through the course of this week, and you'll keep seeing this thing about the, the law of sin and death, the law of the flesh. And the whole point of this is that nobody measures up. None of us are good enough to, to achieve holiness on our own. That's why we are in desperate need of God's grace. Because you can't do it on your own. And that's one of the reasons why I'm a Christian. That's one of the beautiful things about Christianity is Jesus doesn't just give us a set of rules and say, well, hey, good luck with that. That's how you're supposed to live. Jesus says, believe in me and I'll transform you and I'll put a security of grace underneath you that can become the establishment of your identity upon which you can build the totality of your life. Jesus says, you belong. No, you didn't measure up. You fell short, but I filled in the gap. I bridged I moved you from isolation to family. And so we come to the passage that we're looking at today in verse 33. Continue to lean into the scripture. Continue to let it speak to your heart. You're going to love this passage right here. Who can bring accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died, but even more has been raised he also is at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. Who can separate us from the love of God? And so we see here three belonging questions, okay? Three belonging questions. Number one, it's right there in the text. Who can bring accusation against God's elect? Number two, who is the one who condemns? And then number three, who can separate us from the love of God. And so here's, here's my goal for progress today. And that is for each of us to have answers from Scripture to these questions. So the first one is this. Who can bring accusation against God's elect? Well, now one of the first things that we have to decide here is or understand here is who is God's elect? God's elect are those who are believers in Christ Jesus. God elected that all who are in Christ will be his, that they are his children, that you are his child because you are in Christ. So here's the question. Are you a believer in Christ? If you're a believer in Christ, then you are part of the elect. You are part of the family. And so the question is, who can bring accusation against God's elect? Now, what is accusation? This is an interesting word whenever you dive into the etymology of this word accusation. It's that attempt to wear down, to become weary or weak. It is that ongoing tearing down of your identity, of your security, of attacking who you are as a person. And the, the question is here, who can bring accusation against God's elect? Who can take away your identity in Christ? Now, what is the answer to the question? If you go back to, if you go back to the verse, okay, go back to the verse. I left my glasses over there, so I have to read it from my screen today. You know, I got my old man, man eyes here. God, God is the one who justifies. So that's the answer. So the question is, 
who can bring accusation against God's elect? The answer is God is the one who justifies. Now, what does that mean? That means that your identity, who you are as a person, your value, your belonging has been established not by you, but by God. That as a believer in Christ, the gavel has fallen and God has pronounced you not guilty. You are forgiven in Christ through the matchless grace of Jesus Christ, through the power of his blood. You are his and you belong and you are in the family forever and ever and ever. And so somebody over here on the other side might try to accuse you. Somebody over here on the other side might try to condemn you. They might try to make you feel as if you don't belong. They might chip away at your identity. But the Bible says here it was God who justified you. So in that justification, you are secure. You don't have, hear me on this, all right? You don't have to justify yourself to the accuser because God has justified you in Christ Jesus. So here's the second question. Who is the one who condemns? Who is the one who condemns? Now, if you, if you grew up in an environment where you could never be good enough, it is likely that you struggle with condemnation. I'm not saying bad things about your mom and dad or your grandparents, but let's face it, a lot of us grew up in an environment where we never measured up, where, where we couldn't be good enough. And so, as an adult, you're going to have to lean into this issue because you're going to struggle with this idea that I, I can really be forgiven Condemnation is not something that I'm always going to face around the corner. I'll go a little step further. If you grew up in an environment where a religious teacher taught you that your salvation was dependent upon your behaving, then it is likely that you will struggle with condemnation. If you grew up in the church where it's like, well, it's a good thing that you're saved, but boy, I'm going to tell you something, you better behave. Because if you misbehave, God is sitting on his throne with a bucket full of lightning bolts over there going, hey, I'm going to get you. So here's the answer to condemnation. Do we as believers in Jesus Christ need to constantly be worried about condemnation around the corner? Christ Jesus, here's what the scripture says to that question. Christ Jesus is the one who died. Christ Jesus is the one who died. You see, the destination of condemnation is death, but <laughs> the Bible says, hey, Christ Jesus is the one who died. But even more than that, he's been raised. So he actually took your con condemnation and turned it into transformation. Condemnation became resurrection. And he is also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. So whenever you are tempted to feel as though that you have been condemned, when you are tempted to feel as though that you have lost your salvation, that you could never be accepted by God, that you could never be part of the family, the Apostle Paul drives you back to Scripture and reminds you of this, that it is Christ Jesus who died, not you. You can't die for your own sins. Christ Jesus had to die for them. 
But he didn't just die for your sins. He conquered death. And he didn't just conquer death. He ascended to heaven. And today, he is on the right hand of God. And you know what he's doing? He is interceding for you. God is for us, not against us. He is interceding for his children. <laughs> he's on your side. He, he, he wants you to be part of the family. He's cheering you on. He's celebrating your victories. He's celebrating the person that you are because he knows that God the Father can use you for his glory. And so he intercedes on our behalf. All right, final question. Who can separate us? From the love of God. Who can separate you? Who can tear you apart from the love of Christ? And then there's quite a few candidates that are given in the passage here. Can affliction, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? Can these things tear you apart from the love of God? Because let's face it, most of our relationships at a human level, even the loving ones, are conditional. There's, there's things that happen and we'll, we'll separate from individuals. So now let's take this and take it towards God. Who, who can separate you from the love of Christ? How about affliction? You say, well, what's that? Those are all the burdens of life. Those are all those things that have to be done. That's the checklist that's running in your mind right now as I talk where you're saying, it's 11.50. I hope he's done by noon because I have to do this, 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 and this. Right? <laughs> Y'all aren't. Yeah, you're like, well, you just, just, just hurry up, Wesh. All right. <laughs> then there's distress. Distress is the narrowness. It's the, it's the freedom that fades because of duty and restrictions. The, the further you step into life, the more distress you feel because you realize that suddenly you have bills to pay, you have mouths to feed, you have responsibilities, and some of the freedom to, to go and do and whatever you want to do, they, it kind of begins to narrow and you start feeling that distress. And then there's persecution. Persecution is mistreatment. It's that rude person. It's that inconsiderate person. It's that entitled person that says things about you, that treats you badly. And then there's famine. It is the lack of hot and spicy Cheetos on the grocery store uh, aisle because of the pandemic. It's those terrible things. It's, it's not having basic needs. Famine. And then there's nakedness, and this is an interesting word because as you dive into it a little bit, it, it actually is often attached to the soul. So imagine this, your soul is dressed. What is your soul dressed in? It's dressed in a body, and as you are young, that body grows and it becomes stronger and people can see your beauty, they can see your strength, but then nakedness begins to set in. As you grow old, you begin growing slow and your soul begins losing some of its clothing and people no longer see just the external they begin to see you and then there's danger those uncertainties of life that are right around the corner will it be okay what about next year what about the year after that are we going to be all right what's going to happen then there's the sword those decisions that are made by government other countries the stress that you feel when the people that you vote for are not in office and so the question is posed, can these things separate you from the love of God? And the answer is given in verse 37. And what's the answer? No. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. 
So put yourself into the ancient military conquest and realize this, the love of Christ scales the walls and crushes all separation and defeat. You are a conqueror in Jesus Christ. Why? Because He loves you. And so you belong. You belong. Many of us have spent our entire lives feeling as if we are on the outside looking in. And God says to you, you belong to me. You always have and you always will. Because when you're in Christ Jesus, nothing can separate you from his love. I hope that you can grasp this. It might take you a lifetime to swim in it, to begin to see its riches. But this idea that the ground beneath you has been solidified through the grace of Christ Jesus can transform everything about your being because you can know who you are and whose you are. And when you know who you are and whose you are, you can go anywhere and be who you are. Because God has said you belong. You belong in Christ Jesus. Would you guys be so kind as to bow your heads with me, please, as we come to a time of commitment? I know that I have thrown a lot out at you today. This passage of Scripture demands that we do more than just skim the surface. It demands that we swim to its depths and that we think and that we allow our hearts to open and allow the water of the Scripture to flow deep into those chambers that have often been secluded and hidden. But I invite you right now to open your heart and to allow this truth to begin to seep into your being. That in Christ Jesus, you belong. You may honestly feel as if you're always on the outside looking in. And there will be people that do things and say things that they should not. And there will be disappointments in life. There will be relationships that do not bud and do not become what you envisioned them to be. But you need to know something. You're loved. And you're part of Christ's family. And nothing's going to change that. Because that's not something that has been extended to you based on your loveliness. The love of God has been extended to you through Christ. And his love is, is as secure as Christ is powerful. And you can live in it. You can dance in it. You can laugh in it. You can smile. You can be alive. And you can belong. You don't have to go through your whole life in being somebody else's life and looking at some little screen wishing you can live your life and be who's called you to be. 
Father, I thank you so much for this church. I thank you for the people that are in this room. I pray that you will help us to grasp the truth of your word today. May it change us from the inside out and allow us to be the people that you have created us to be. It is in the matchless name of Jesus Christ that I pray this prayer. Amen. Let's stand together, church. The band's going to lead us into worship. I'm here at the front. If there's anything that I can pray with you about, please come see me. If you need to spend some time praying during the next few moments, you can pray. If you want to sing, sing. Just respond to the Holy Spirit as we sing.